It's the Tiltcast episode 538, Hogwarts. And this week, guys, we talked more Metroid Prime Remastered, Everspace, Hogwarts Legacy, and Marvel's Midnight Suns. Stay tuned. It's a forbidden curse. Pew, pew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. We're back. It's the Tiltcast. It is uh, an M-rated show. I'm Nas. Uh, I'm Jason. I'm Rusty. Yeah, come on, get with it here. And the three of us are getting about 30 minutes of bullshit. 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 So, some games, some news. It is uh, 48 degrees at 3.02 p.m. Central Time on February 18th. 38 degrees and an hour ahead of time here. Ooh, I'm in the future. We had a bad false start. I forgot how to start the show. You, <laughs> you forgot that we've historically cracked a can for years now? <laughs> for like 500 episodes. I forgot. <laughs> Come on. I don't even know when that started, but I want to say it was like before episode 100. Well, we I don't know when exactly it started, but it started after I you know, I was on the cast and because people were uh, I mean That's when we started clap. We were using the clap and uh to clap. Oh, nobody nobody wants the clap. So it's, so what you need is you need like a noise to get started with the show when you're like editing it right. So what we'd do is you'd have a I'll do it quietly. Like that, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be the spike that you'd see that that's where we're starting the show. Um, kind of like, you know, action and cut when you're recording video, right? Or a movie or a show or whatever. So we used to have a clap and that got really annoying. And somebody cracked a can. Yep, it was me. And it worked. And so we're just like, <laughs> fuck it. That's what we're doing. We're cracking cans. I, I just held the can right up to the microphone, crack. And then it, it, it was nice and crisp and... Well, I eventually just started keeping it in there. and To my well, knowledge, we are definitely the only show that starts it that way. And uh, <laughs> since uh, we're not getting paid for any of this, um, yeah, it's a bang, delish, strawberry kiss that we're doing today. It's <laughs> It has evolved. Like the uh, the can itself has evolved from many, many different different cans. Um. Yeah, it used to be some G fuels. Uh, there was, oh god, oh god, there was, uh, there was some really bad, uh, like, uh, I don't know what was that bad shit that uh, that sad water uh, that you got a long freaking time ago. I can't remember what it's called. I want to say bubbly, but it's not. It's something very similar to that. It was like LaCroix or some shit. Yeah, they, yeah I did have LaCroix at one point. I don't yeah, know why I it had was LaCroix. kind of like LaCroix, but this was actually worse than LaCroix. Like, I can still drink LaCroix. What you got was terrible. Highball. That's what it was. Yeah, it was a highball. Uh, <laughs> it was so bad. Ah, uh, man. It's like, it's, it's like drinking wood claw. Yeah, the, uh. The energy drinks that we've chosen have changed drastically. Also, the other reason you used to do energy drinks is I used to work nights off and on for a long time, right? And then Rusty was working nights, and Jason had the most normal schedule for the longest. But, yeah, we'd have to record, like, Friday night or Saturday night starting at, like, 10 o'clock in the evening 
Um, and then I needed to be, I wanted to like have, it was like immediately after, it's like sometimes we start off at like 11 or 1130, like really late to start a podcast that was two and a half hours long. And, you know, I'd want to like not close out my night after working all day doing that. And like there was one point I was working 12 hour shifts and I was doing this. So like crack a can and then have like way too much caffeine step to like fucking four or five in the morning. Um, because I wanted a couple of hours of like me time before, you know, stealing my time back before I had to go sleep and go back to work again. So, uh, caffeine just became a very regular part of the show a long mm-hmm. time ago. Now it's just part of what we do. I, I just didn't drink hardly any caffeine this morning. So this didn't like and, make me go crazy the rest of the day. Yeah. Well, and then before that, it was, it was me because I worked a regular schedule while you two stayed night owls. Oh yeah. And you do like and, uh, Mountain Dew plus an energy drink. So you could like make it the drive yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. Sacrifices and were then, made. And then Rusty's sitting there downing copious amounts of caffeine just to wake up. Yeah. Well, you know, this was all at that point, this was all at the very beginning of my day. And, uh, like, Yeah. That was probably it was rough. There was the early years we did started podcasting basically in the middle of the night. And then probably by when I moved from the apartment. So when we were doing the show back in 2014, so like season three, um, Rusty was working nights. I was my schedule wildly went all over the place and sometimes it work nights, sometimes it was a mid or a split or whatever it was. But I would work pretty crazy hours, too. And then some of those times, like, I had to just stay way the hell up because Rusty wasn't even waking up till like, 9 o'clock. Then he'd come over here. We'd start the show at 10 o'clock. So we weren't much better than we were before. And it's only really been since the last few months that we've been re- recording at a pretty normal time of the day. Um, like, Oh, Rusty's no longer a vampire. And, like, back when you had the apartment, I didn't have kids yet. So it was all... We did it whenever. Well, there was copious amounts of nicotine, too. That place stank like crazy. Oh, my God, yes. It was bad. It was very bad. I've said it a couple times in the show. Like, me and Trent, like, not endorsing cigarettes in any way. But, like, if you know what Camel Wides are, like, it's a pretty high tar, high nicotine cigarette. It's like an extra big cigarette. And me and Trent would smoke a pack and a half about each indoors with no regard because like, you know, I was in my twenties. So, and didn't have any health concerns either. Like not any true health concerns. Like I was not concerned about my health and that place just smelled like a fucking ashtray. There were probably 10 ashtrays in that apartment. Um, it was, it was disgusting. Like it took having like Holly, who's been on the show that was on the show a lot back then, um, lived literally right around the corner. And at one point she just got sick of it. She's like, this place is disgusting. I bought an extra vacuum and I'm leaving this one here um, because she was over all the time. So she kind of shamed us into cleaning the apartment. And then since we had a vacuum, we started vacuuming and it was, it was pretty fucking <laughs> yeah. gross. I don't even, I don't, and we did not get the deposit back on that. I mean, I, I was just happy when I finally convinced all you fuckers to switch to vaping. I mean, I mean, yeah. not that I didn't participate in the cigarettes back then, because I did, because it was hard not to in that apartment, because all you did was smell it. Yeah, the uh, 
Actually, uh, and Rusty, you might appreciate this. I got a picture of those days. Uh, I found a picture of us all around the table. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, like me, like all of us, plus like I think Rex and Scott and Casey and oh, Trent wow. and you two. Like when we had the really big shows. Um, yeah. I have a picture of all of us around that little bitty microphone. Oh, um, my God. I will say this show is way more structured than it has ever been in the early days. If you feel like you want to go back to the early days, everything is archived. And I'm always getting notices from our our web server that we are way higher than we should be. And it has decided to stop backing it up, um, even though everything's backed up in two different places anyway. But the uh, – yeah. It's a, there's a bit, pretty big back catalog. The quality is not nearly as good and you'll be hearing stuff that's like really fucking old. Um, like coverage of Bioshock, like we have coverage of Bioshock. That's how long we've <laughs> yes. been, we've been, we've been doing video games as a podcast pretty much almost as long as there's been video game podcasts around aside from a handful. Um, Shit. Just take it back to that first episode Rusty and I were on right after Borderlands 2 came out. You go back, listen to that. You will definitely hear the sound quality between then and now, just oh. from. Well, yeah. Was I mean, it was the, fucking epic it was echo the four. It was the four of us spread out in that living room around a Yeti snowball sitting on a fucking coffee table. <laughs> like, right. I still remember my very first day. I sat was uh, was sitting. I was just telling the story today, actually. Um, the uh, I was sitting Indian style on the floor, staring directly into the snowball microphone, terrified, absolutely terrified to say anything. And uh, you, you, I think it was Justin, uh, you know, tried to get me out of my shell to talk about uh, Borderlands Two, and uh, yeah, that's that's how uh, that's how Money Shot became a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, in fact, it was the money shot that brought you out of your shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Yeah, that's I think we even like was a made like different person back almost then. like gamer tags for all of our names. Like we had like handles on the show. Yes. <laughs> Things have changed, yeah, somehow, right? I started this somehow. In- Trent stuck me with the voice. I don't know why. Oh. Yeah, the because uh... <laughs> I was so much deeper than the rest of you. Well, and then oh, Trent was that. kind of a douchebag sometimes, so we called him the Trent bag. And I think <laughs> yeah. I was nasty nos because that's what Victor decided I was. Um, but yeah, that being said, <laughs> uh, we've grown up a lot. Right. Uh, um, started the show when I was like twenty-seven or twenty-eight, and I'm forty now, going on forty-one. Right. Holy crap! Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm the oldest of the group, so I just feel we freaking like dust over here. Well, we were all in our 20s when we started. Yes. Shit, Jason was like 25. <laughs> or 24, I think. I don't know. He was pretty fucking young. That was a long time it's ago. It's amazing how how young you are. <laughs> well, I mean, it was 12 years ago, so yeah, 24, 25. He's 12 years. Yep. And here we are. Um, as far as Things happening this week. The only thing of interest is uh, not a lot. I'm, you know, nobody wants to hear about my work shit. I'm working a weird split where I've 
got one day off a week for three weeks. That's not fun. But um, I have played a lot of video games, so I'll definitely talk about that. Jason's selling a lot of cookies, and Rusty's making a lot of pasties. 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 Yes. Um, so I actually have pretty much a full review of Hogwarts to talk about today. Ooh. Um, here's what I got left. So there's a part of that game where you're filling out your field guide, which is how you get XP. You get XP from completing a quest, and then as you complete open world items, um, you also get entries in your field guide. And then you get XP for that, but then you have like a state of readiness to speak in Mass Effect style, right? Uh, for the end of the game. I beat the main quest, and I'm done with that. And I'm literally, if we hadn't started, I would have finished the very, 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 very last quest, which is you've hit level 34. Now come review your guide, which is where I'm at today. Um, if I'm going to give Hogwarts a grade, it's probably a four and a quarter game. Um, it, it's a pretty good game. Yeah, it wore out its welcome in a spot where I did not understand the... So you set your spell groupings in a weird way, right? So you can only have a total of 16 spells equipped. Which, I mean, that sounds like a lot, right? But enemies throw up a shield, and it's a color of a different type of spell. So your four spells, right? Your levit... Your uh, your flip somebody over, you slam them into the ground, you shoot them back, you pull them forward. That's a purple spell. All your fire spells and your expelliarmus are your red spells. Your trans your transmorph spell, your levitate spell, your uh, ice spell, those are yellow spells, and your slow spell. Um, and then you got your utility spells and then your unforgivable curses. The Unforgivable Curses are pretty powerful, but they've got really long cooldowns or they're kind of mildly effective in certain situations. So like one's like a like a, a dot, a damage over time. One will turn another enemy against the others, and one is the Killing Curse, which I did not get because I didn't like that part of the story and didn't want to do it. Um, so with that being said, um, you... I tried to put them all the color groupings into different batches. So you like hold down right trigger and hit left, right, up or down on the D pad to select that spell packet. Right. And what would happen is, you know, you'd have four enemies or eight enemies. Right. And they'd all have different colored shields. And it was getting cumbersome trying to dodge and repel and like deflect spells while flipping through my different spell books, essentially. So basically what I did is I put one of every color under each package of spells, basically. And when they're all on cooldown, I'd flip to the next one and use that round of spells. And once I figured out that was my approach, the game got a lot more fun. But when I got in that spot about 25 hours in where I wasn't having a lot of fun with the combat, I put the game down for a few days. And for whatever reason, I was like, I want something I can listen to podcasts and turn off my brain and play a game. So I played Ever um, Everspace. I hadn't really played it much since right when it released at 1.0. I think I did the same thing I did with Wasteland 2. So if you haven't listened to this real frequently, I played Wasteland 2 in early access because I was a backer, like a Kickstarter backer. And I played the first mission like seven times, essentially. The first opening intro of that game like seven times. By the time 1.0 came out, I was 
barely wanted to play the game because I was like, I've done all these things before. I know all the different permutations and outcomes because I've done this area seven times. The first 10 hours, like seven times. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I ended up doing, um, putting that off for a really long time. And I came back to it about eight months later and played it. And I was like, man, I wish I'd have played this back then because the next part of the game was better. Same thing happened to me with Everett Space, but to a more severe degree. 1.0 came out. I played it, but not gotten a lot of progression or mild progression. And it wasn't getting the controls and whatever. It just wasn't clicking. And then I put it down. I put it down for like two years or three years. And then recently I was like, I'm going to play some Everspace and just see what this is. I did the crazy thing and erased all my progress, which I kind of wish I didn't, but I did. And started from scratch. And in about 15 hours of gameplay, I've almost beaten my first run of that game. Um, the, okay. con the controls might just be better than they used to be or just something clicked where it wasn't before. Like, I feel very confident taking on the capital ships now. I feel pretty confident with the upgrades and what to build, what works together really well. Um, I like, there's a, I don't know if it's a free DLC, but there's a DLC called... Uh, contacts or something like that that adds these little short stories to the game so as you get into each new system when you've never been there it kind of expands in the story and then there's some exposition between you and the robot ai that's with you because you're a clone that's how you can die and keep coming back you're trying to figure out what happened because you're a clone and you're all your memory's gone but or i think it's called encounters so you have these encounters with different people in space that give you different quests and those quests are persistent through runs so, like, one of them's like, you know, you need to blow up these freighters to collect their gas or whatever and their GB, which is kind of like your tentative ally in the game. And it's really hard if you try it at a, without a really kitted out ship because the GNB fighters are way tougher than the Okaru or whatever they're called. So um initially that was really hard but i could put that off because even if i die that mission will still be there and it'll pop up another system because you know the way that game works is you know go to another system and it gives you an option kind of like ftl of here's the threat level and here's maybe there's something some kind of quest item in this area and then you kind of choose every time you jump between levels on what you want to do and it's woven really well in between everything. Like, I've completed a big chunk of those as well. And like I said, I got to the very last mission and the very last boss, basically. And my ship was just way too tore up um, for me to to beat it. But I felt really good about myself that I got that far. Like, my runs right now routinely take me about an hour and a half to get through them. I may have played more than 15 hours. I've got 25 runs under my belt. Some of those are woefully short, like <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah. And then some of those are definitely pushing the 120-minute range now that I've got a pretty kitted-out ship. Um, I think the keys to that is kitting out your – so you stick to – like I unlocked the other ships as I was making more money because it's $10,000 to unlock the next classes of ships. So I unlocked all of those and like the last ones get to like level 7 or sector 7 and then it automatically unlocks the other one for free. And they're all good ships. But I've been focusing on the starter ship a lot. So I focused on energy and on the ship's speed. And then it was boost. And then it was um, its overall hull. And then I focused on the like being able to get out additional weapons. And then I focused on money. 
And then all the other stuff's ancillary, like, you know, how many nanobops it takes to fix your ship, etc. But that game's really good. And I I think what spurred me on is I saw an advertisement for Everspace 2 that it was coming out in March. And I was like, I should play Everspace. And I think that's where that idea came from. Mm. And as a roguelike, it's good. And as a space shooter with light flight space mechanic or flight sim mechanics... It's pretty good. Like, I've gotten to a place where now I can't quite cut my engines like you can in, in Elite Dangerous and spin around and zero-G shoot something that's shooting at you, you know, a.k.a. like uh, Battlestar Galactica. But you can spin around and fly backwards, and you still have some of that inertia to let you do that and still shoot at things that are fighting you. And once you get upgraded engines, like, it's pretty viable to fly backwards and shoot at things that are trying to track you. And I've gotten pretty fucking good at flying that ship. And Mm -hmm. it's just like the best version of... It scratches the same itch that Defender scratched when I was a little kid. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've run into... Every every space game that I've run into so far, including Everspace and Everspace 2, have been somewhat... It's it's in the same vein as Elite Dangerous, and these days it's just depressing to think about that game. Um, so, uh, well, I've because it was I didn't the best nec- one, right? Well, I didn't necessarily like the original uh, Everspace. Um, I did like Everspace Two, what what was available at you know at this point. Uh, so I'd be interested in going through Everspace Two uh, once it's. Um, you know, once it's been released, what I'm, what I've run into with Everspace 2, though, is I think they kind of pigeonholed themselves into a specific kind of ship, uh, you know, ship style, uh, and you really can't do much more outside of having that one or two ship styles. Uh, um, I don't want to speak too soon, but from what I got some decent amount of progression and you get different ship types or can buy different ship types, essentially. Okay, well, there's... I mean, even in Everspace 1, there's four main ships, and each of those have three different loadouts, like starter loadouts, that Mm. all work very differently. And then the thing that I liked about Everspace that I never noticed before is, like, as you upgrade your engines, you actually have, like, extra jets on your ship, essentially, right? Like, they start to look beefier as engines as they upgrade, essentially. Your ship starts to look beefier as you upgrade its hull. Like, everything about it, like, changes visually. Like, it even says, like, includes visual upgrade when you get to different tiers of the upgrade, which I think is kind of neat. Um, I don't know. Everspace has a little bit of wonkiness with the graphic settings that I had to get around. Um, because it was saved to my old resolution, and I couldn't get it to unsave. I had to find the settings in my app data folder and delete it to get it to let me go to 4K. But I am running at 4K, like fucking screaming 120 hertz. Like, it looks like it needs ray tracing. It almost looks like it has ray tracing. Um, it's a really decent-looking game, even, like, five years after it released. Um, but, yeah, Everspace is pretty fucking good. Like, I really want to just finish this last mission on Hogwarts, so that's probably what I'll play tonight is probably more Everspace if I don't jump into more Dark Tide. But, yeah, Everspace okay. is still good. Um before I talk about, well, I guess I was talking about Hogwarts. Um, so 
I can blend that back together with Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> the story got more interesting after I got past that hump. And I genuinely enjoyed parts of that story. I think the voice acting in that game is pretty damn good. Um, like I said, as a medium Hogwarts fan, because that's about where I'm at, right? Um, that Potterverse. Um, <laughs> I, even medium. I was... Yeah, even I was noticing a lot of nods to the stuff that was in the movies, right? Um, it's pretty. It's a very consistent world. It gets a little bit tedious in points, right? Like the part that's knocking it down to a four and a quarter for me is the game was really strong when I was following the main story and some of the side quests. But I read out of side quests, and I know it says that I could do. There's like twenty more in the world because there's a counter for how many quests there are in the game. Like every time you beat a certain amount of quests, it'll say this is how many are to unlock the next tier which unlocks a cosmetic, right? And it said I had 32 left, and I've got like uh, 13 or 14 of those done right now. So apparently they're in the world somewhere. I just haven't discovered them, but I ran out of quests, and I needed to get to level 34. So I went through and started doing the open world activities that I was ignoring, which are a bunch of simple puzzles that are okay, but it was tedious. Like three hours today, I'm literally just solving these Merlin trials and these ancient mag magic trials, which... Didn't feel like were necessary for me to be powerful enough to beat everything. The ancient magic trials unlocks like a magic meter thing for your big lightning spell that you use that wipes out most things in one hit. And I wasn't, I was using it on cooldown more or less, but like it wasn't, wasn't a make or break kind of thing. Like I got so many fucking potions and spells and everything else that felt pretty competent in any situation after I rearranged my spells. So I didn't feel like I needed to do that, but I was kind of like cornered into doing that stuff to get the necessary XP so that I wasn't just going around like killing random countryside animals to get my stuff up. You know what I mean? Like I just ran out of ways to get XP towards the end and having that artificial level <laughs> gate of 34, like is a weird design choice when, I don't know, maybe it wanted me to have more fun because there's like these optional dungeons where I say dungeons that's like. A puzzle you solve to go into a hole to get a chest. So it takes you like four minutes to do. You get a little bit of XP in an item that you probably don't need. And I, you know, I did a few of them. Everything I got is legendary on my character right now. I don't need any more gear. So I was like, I don't really want to do those. I don't really want to catch any more animals. Like, I just, those open world activities are just not that great. Um, it's, it's filler. You don't want to. It's filler content. You don't want to build? Like, the room builder is pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, it's it's way less impressive than you think. Really? Um, yeah, so the you discover the room requirement, and that's where you have all of your crafting stations. Like, I've got, like, as you need more, the room expands, right? Like, this is the whole thing, like, harken back to the movies, right? The, it, the, whatever you need, the room will supply. So, like, as you need more areas for animals, the room gets bigger. And it gives you entrances to, like, these meadows and swamps and whatever for your creatures that you capture to harvest their goods. But the room itself gets bigger, but I found enough space in the main room to put all my stuff down because I didn't want to travel room to room. Like, I basically want to warp in, set about four potions up for brewing, go back and pick all my plants that are on a cooldown, right? Like, I never did. You can add fertilizer to make them give you a higher yield and faster, and I didn't want to waste the money doing that, and I never needed to. So basically, I've got the right amount based on how I use my materials to go in there and have enough materials for like three or four quests. So I go in there and I pick everything, harvest all my stuff, and in like five minutes, 
I've got all my potions done. I've got all my upgrades to my equipment done. I've got all of my potions brewed, but I've got everything set up in a single room. It looks like a hoarder house in the area that I'm in, but it's very efficient. <laughs> it's extremely utilitarian. Efficient. Yes. It's just like rows on both sides that I take a single path and I weave through this path that gets all the materials to get to the potions that then leads me outdoors to go to the animals that leads me upstairs to go to the next animal pen that goes down to the breeder pen that like, I just do this path that takes me five minutes. And in my head, so, I was like, yeah. I needed to be efficient. And I stopped caring about how the room looked. I just wanted it to be efficient. So that's how I made the room. You could get really extravagant with it and like go back and like change the decor and all that other stuff. Like I did that for a second. I was like, yeah, I don't care about this as much as I thought. I don't really care about the rugs or all the tables and all this other shit. Like I just. Okay. So that's how I approached it, which you could probably spend a couple hours decorating that. And I found a lot of different unlockable items to put in that room that I just haven't messed with. But that's just me. It was utilitarian. And that's what I was using it for is a utilitarian venture. Um, And I have all the space I need in the main room to get everything done in one path. That'll last me two missions, basically. So that's I'm a I mean, weirdo. You're not the target audience, apparently, for that particular feature. No. Um, but but that, yeah, the if the grind was more fun, like I figured out the Merlin puzzles are. I don't want to spoil it. Like once you figure it out, though, it's like one of five solutions. And so after you've it loses its magic after you figure out oh, that's a pun, a bad pun. It loses its <laughs> magic after. The, after you figure out all the different solutions, because they never really change. Like the positioning and the way that it's set up is different, but they never change. Um, that's kind of a missed, it's, missed opportunity. It's just, it's open world bloat. And I think that's what a lot of open world games suffer from, right? Like after a certain point in Watch Dogs, you're not doing any of the open world activities. Same thing with like Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. or a lot of the games like that. Like the open world bloat, like it gets old. Like I'm, one thing, Witcher had that a little bit, but not nearly as bad. Well, it did, but it also, I mean, with The Witcher, you ended up having, uh, you know, interesting story to go along with it. The Witcher um, opens up side quests for monster hunts, and those monster hunts come with a story, and then that's the only thing you're doing in that area. And then you just start to discover stuff as you're roaming the countryside. You discover a new notice board or you discover something more organically that leads you back to a quest. And I, it just does it better. Well, The Witcher's, a, you know, it's a top triple, you know, it's an S-class game, right? Right. Right. You got Witchers and Elden Rings, and this is not in that kind of category. Um, this is more in like the, you know, the good watchdog territory of good open world games. Okay. Um, it's not the shit game that everybody says it is. It's just, and what everybody thought it would be. It, it's because also not honestly, like, I didn't have the best, biggest, um, I didn't have the biggest and, you know, wasn't anticipating a good game out of this. Like most of the, the, the movie tie in games, they've been getting better. Sure. Uh, this isn't necessarily specifically a movie tie in. It's also like a book series, it? but it's still, but. Yeah, it's well, like it's like if they tied a Lord of the Rings game into the into the Silmarillion, right? Like it's going into right. the history of Hogwarts, and you know it still has a little bit of like performance issues. I think that hold it back. I think I run out of video RAM is what happens. So here's what'll happen with me: like they've done a lot of patches, and what'll happen? It happens in Hogsmeade a lot. 
So I go to Hogsmeade to sell a bunch of shit. And there's a lot going on in Hogsmeade. And my frames, it goes to frames per second for a few moments, like say five seconds. And then it all catches up. And then it runs fine again. And it's running like 80, 90 FPS. I got really sick of switching my monitor resolution down to 1440. So I just started running it in 4K because I was getting the slowdown regardless if I was in 4K or in 1440. And I'm not running it on max settings. I'm not an idiot. I'm not running it on. I know it's max settings are optimized for a 4090 on that game for whatever reason. But it does look really good with ray tracing. So I've got ray tracing set to high, not ultra. All the graphic settings set to high, not ultra. Um, and then I'm running it in 4K because that's my native TV resolution, right? And with G-Sync, you know, I run anywhere from like 60 to 100 plus FPS on it. But it struggles in certain spots for a moment. And it used to like just bog down for like a minute before it came back. And now it's like it recognizes it's running out of memory or something. Then it's just like, all right, we'll just we'll let this uh, the sling play out for a second and we'll catch back up. It doesn't do it very often during like, I haven't really had it happen to me during a fight, <clears throat> but just Hogsmeade in general. And then a couple of spaces in Hogwarts itself. Um, I run into a really shiny room. And then my uh, graphics card is like, oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> I just stand there for a second and then it all like smooths back out and the frame rate jumps way the fuck back up, which is weird. But I am running on DLSS performance right now because I was hoping that that would help with some of that, too. And it's I can't tell a whole lot of difference between performance and balanced and quality, to be honest with you, the way it looks. Because it's it's the art style, much in the way that World of Warcraft has like kind of a low poly art style. It's not that low poly, but it's lower poly than, you know, maybe what you're used to with something like Uncharted or The Last of Us or something like that. And it lends itself to not needing to be like stupid level of detail on things. Okay. Like the details where it counts, the details in the lighting, the details in the reflections, the details in the spells. Um, And when it's running on all, all eight cylinders, it looks pretty damn good. Like it's a lot of great reflective surfaces for spells. Um, but yeah, like it, the main quest at the end was pretty predictable. I kind of figured out what was going to go on. It was decent, right? You know, good versus evil. <laughs> you know, you got to make your choice at the end and then you have to make a choice. Things happen and the story concludes and then you still got a little bit left in your year to, to do your owls. And that's where I'm at right now. I got to do my owls and I'm literally on the quest to do my owls at this moment. And then I'll be officially finished with that game. So, yeah, four and a quarter is about what I give it. It's not the best RPG that I've ever played. It's definitely, it's it's more surprising to me, um, the level of good that it was there versus the very goofy, heated discussions around the game. Um, but, yeah, like, it's a, it's, it's pretty good. Pretty good. We got, pretty good. We got a Atomic Cart coming up here pretty damn pretty good too. So you're saying it's worth a play? It's worth a play, yeah. Like it, it could make it into my list for the year. Like if, if it makes it into my list, I imagine it'll be number five. Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's and it can, can unless, it gets it, yeah. And if there's a lot of stuff that comes out this year, it might make it into the top ten. If there's a whole lot of good that comes out this year that surprises the fuck out of me, it may not make it on there at all. But you know. Uh, if you're mildly interested, I'd say get it on a sale. If you're a Hogwarts fan, I say it's an absolute must grab because it does play a lot of homage to that legacy. 
But yeah, it's a, if you're a fan of about a 30 to 45 hour experience, depending on the level of side quest bullshit you do, um, that's about the amount of game you get. I think it could have been a 25 hour game and I'd have been decently satisfied to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, it's still going to end up on my back burner, but I think I'm just going to pick it up on a sale. Um, yeah, when Steam does like the summer or spring sale, that's probably a good place to get it. Yeah, that's that's where I'm I'm actually picking that up. I've there's so so much shit that I just need to get to, um, and I just don't have any time anymore. <laughs> um, did that you, and did you get into? Um, are you doing more of the Final Fantasy thing this week? Well, I did. Uh, I did a couple things. So yeah, I've I play the crap out of final fantasy uh 14 uh, i've been sp- uh, spending a little bit more time with it now that i've actually attained uh a house uh so that's that's one of the things that i've been playing since i started playing this game like on and off for the last few years now i've been looking to get a house uh and uh oh in recently in yeah a house in game because yeah, that's uh, a thing, and it's like there's limited space for houses too, right? Right. the The housing wards there's uh, they're set up as in game neighborhoods instead of instance housing, uh, which means that there is limited spaces. Uh, everybody wants a house, but and just about everybody can afford a house, but there isn't enough houses to go around for everybody. Um, it's because they have so many servers, right? right. So. Uh, they recently opened up a a new ward. I was able to, you know, they have a lottery system in there now to, uh, you know, to uh, to get a house, make it a little bit more fair for people who can't just sit there and play the game twenty four hours a day. Right. Uh, you can put your money down in a lottery, and it will randomly choose a winner from everybody that put their money down towards the house, which is great. Um, it allows you to just be able to do that and do other things and you have random chance um which is way better than it was before but anyway i was able to actually get a a medium house uh and and i've been doing some decorating in that you know you know on the house and or out on the outside of the house and making it look really really cool um and what that what that entails is there's a lot of crafting uh that that goes into that so i had a lot of you know gathering materials and crafting that up and that's what my character's main thing is is crafting and healing is is the two things that i do in uh in final fantasy that's what i like to do it's really relaxing and that's what i want in a game right now is something that's you know that's relaxing um but recently, I mean, just recently, like last night, we ended up getting a house for our little guild that, you know, or FC free company, um, you know, in uh, in Final Fantasy. So now we're now I'm decking out a second house and have already uh, decorated the outdoors of a third house. So, yeah, it's like. I'm getting into the housing thing in Final Fantasy, and it's a whole new, uh, whole new, like, you know, sub tier of gaming in uh, in Final Fantasy. Is you could just play the game and kill shit, 
or you could just kind of get into all this uh, all this ancillary shit that you know that you can do uh and that's you spend a lot of time doing it uh so i've been enjoying this you know enjoying the hell out of that it's uh whole new systems in a game that i've been playing for years now that i have never touched uh and i'm starting to you know to learn and you know actually get good at so that is uh i just saw the image uh (laughs) uh that was that's that's really great <laughs> that bring a chuckle <laughs> right so that's that's uh that's one of the things that i've been doing um i have uh also in one of uh one of these last few days uh fired up um midnight suns and played the first like few hours of that um and i can understand why you like this game <laughs> I can understand. Uh, I, I've gotten to the first main bad guy, like the first named bad guy. What Venom? Yes, Venom. Uh, so Where I've gotten to that point, change, and the game some of the change quite a bit there too. What's that? Some of the game mechanics on it change a little bit once you get to, like all of the different bosses. Kind of have different mechanics that you need to utilize in order to beat them, besides just doing damage to them. Right, right. You have to, uh, you have to kind of, for for him, it was trying not to uh, trying not to use melee on him, uh, and then uh, you know avoiding his uh, his AOE attacks. And I th- the thing that's different about Midnight Suns versus XCOM is that you can tell what's going to happen. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> you can tell what's going to happen before it happens so you can plan accordingly right like there's no hit chance oh my god so he's stealing the fuck out of it but the thing about that where that makes a lot of difference right is you have a predictable outcome so you play it a lot more like chess than you do like checkers with XCOM, right or something more random like poker like XCOM's more like poker and and midnight sun's more like chess right you can plan several moves ahead because you can see predictable outcomes to things you can get very good and kind of setting up a a long chain of events that will get you to something pretty neat later on you can kind of set things up for something awesome um even to the point of like being able to wipe out a whole group of dudes um like gangbang style pretty quickly I don't know, kicking, uh, kicking, exploding barrels into people, and watching, watching has fireworks ensue. Who are, uh, who's your main crew? Uh, okay, well, it's like I said, it's the very beginning of the game, right? So you, you only get he- you still have good heroes at the beginning, right? So I mean, the the very first set of people that you get uh, is uh, Blade and uh, Doctor Strange, um. And you can uh, work with uh, Iron Man right immediately afterwards. Um, but, like, the roster isn't super large at the moment. Uh, and this was, like, the, the the first boss. It's, like, the first, like, two hours. Uh, I didn't get very far into it. Once you start doing um, the super moves, too, the super moves look really great. Right. Well, I mean, even the, uh, even the super, uh, some of the extra moves there just the basic ass attacks 
uh, can be chained in such a way with the uh, uh, with the environment to be able to do some pretty major damage. Um, I'm still kind of working out the fact that you can only move one character, you know, you know, to a specific spot on the battlefield, uh, and trying to wonder why that is even a thing. But as soon as you start like kicking fucking uh, desks into people and taking out like three or four dudes because they just happen to be uh, uh, grouped up together. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand why you can only move once. Yeah, it, um, you can use the move to do uh, environmental attacks or you can use it to position yourself out of an area that you see that you're going to get attacked. And so sometimes you'll do moves where you use a card where it's an attack that you know it's going to move your character because he's a melee class or whatever, right? So you can get that move to get out of that area of effect or that attack you're going to get hit by. Because you can see when it's your turn who's going to attack who, basically. Right. You don't necessarily know what they're going to do with their attack, but that you see where their ire is focused. And right. you can, you'll get, so Iron Man you can use kind of like a tank essentially to gain the ire of many people because he's a pretty good multi-class he's not he's like he can be damage he can be support he can be a, a tank he's kind of a jack of all trades character um but he's he's pretty versatile um i used him quite a bit and then blade is a straight disabler or dps character but you need to kind of when you're building your decks you kind of want to say this is how i want to build them and then you arrange your hand for that character that way and that's how you build them instead of putting, you know, points into different things with the characters. You just build the deck out how you want or you upgrade the cards how you want. I spent a lot of time doing that shit, too, like building the perfect blade. I built him as a pure disabler because at the later levels, I couldn't get him to a place where he was out damaging my DPS classes. So he just turned into a master disabler, a dot spreader, so to speak. Um, but he's really Spider-Man when you get spider Do you got Spider-Man yet? No. Is uh, uh, I mean, he's hinted at. You'll get him uh, soon. Like he's hint hinted at at the you know, at the end of the Venom fight. So you'll get him pretty soon. He's a he's an environmental fighter, so a lot of his cards play off things that are in the environment. He gets like extra moves to do shit. Like if he like, I think there's a card where if you use an environmental attack, um, it reduces the cost to like free. So he can essentially like take out three or four people in a single move because he's not using cards at that point. It's just all environmental attacks. And then he'll get like double damage on environmental attacks. Um, he's a really weird class to play, but you can use him as a disabler and a damage dealer and somebody that just takes out all the ads all the time. He's not real good versus main bosses, but he is real good about with crowds. Um. I think this week, too, I think Venom unlocked as a playable class, too, if you had the DLC. So I, I think I bought the DLC uh, to, you know, to be, I think, I have to look. If you got, uh, uh, but there yeah. was a special going on around Christmas, I think you could buy everything for, like, half price that had, or 40% off that had everything. It was right around the time, well, I purchased it during the, uh, um, uh, during the Game of the Year episode. I just, uh, as things were added to the game of the year i was putting them in my cart <laughs> so uh i ended up with a you know quite a few games for the back burner uh, uh to get through uh but yeah uh midnight suns if you're uh if you're into uh, the the marvel 
it is a it's a very decent Marvel um Marvel story. Um I'm not familiar with uh with the Midnight Suns at all. I'm not super big into comics. <laughs> so um but I do enjoy a good Marvel movie. Um so that is that. I think, I, I think you'll like it after you get into it a little bit longer. And it's there's a yeah. lot of game there too. There is a lot of game there, and that's the thing. Um, I have a, I have a fair limited amount of time, and I, a lot of it is taken up by Final Fantasy, so, uh, you know, these days. So, trying to pull myself away from an MMO to play something else is uh, is an interesting challenge, especially when you only have like two or three hours a day. Uh, that's the pits about being an you know being somebody that has to commute for forty five you know about an hour and a half out of the day. But yeah, um, yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, on on that end, though, I'll say I'm still plugging away at Metroid. I forgot that this was like a 20 hour game if you're going for like everything. Yeah, yeah, it was back when games weren't as long as that. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, the thing. I, I remember actually sitting down and playing through the original Metroid and it was like in a sitting. Um most of the most of those older games like can be beat in around five hours. And I think part of that is like before um before there were safe slots, right? Like you needed to be able to get through a game in a sitting. Because <laughs> you couldn't turn off the, you know, the Nintendo. Oh my god, that's right. Yes. So a lot well, of a lot of like, like classic games are fairly short. Well, like the original Metroid was like um, a third of the length of like what Super Mario Brothers was. Yeah, um, like, but there was also there was also a lot more. They had coded in a lot more complexity to the game with the, um, uh, you know, with how levels went up and down, and you could actually go back and forth across the level. Instead right. of having one direct path, so uh, yeah, it was a short game. Um, you know, Metroid Prime really changed um, a lot of things, not just for that series, but just uh, a lot of first-person shooters in general. Well, the original Metroid Prime came out. Uh, before the Halo control scheme actually was a thing. Um, and it was also using, you know, subpar original controls. But if you're playing the the new uh, uh, Metroid Prime uh, remastered, or rema- uh, it is a remaster, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's okay. remaster. Yeah, the, uh, the remaster so it's of got it. true twin stick. So right. you're, yeah, so you can actually, um, aim and walk direction in different directions at the same time yes you could uh, where, finally circle strafe you couldn't yeah. circle strafe before because it was more nope. tank controls yep yeah, so that that was weird yeah well it, that's because instead of using the c stick for um for any of that um that was your uh your power beam selector on on the GameCube. I just remember 
you know, going through and fighting the last boss in Metroid Prime, and it requires you to move back and forth um, in a in a couple different directions. And I I just remember it being so gosh darn difficult because uh, it was because you had to lock your aim in order to keep your sights on him and still move in the directions that you need to move. Yep. It was, like, yeah, that's what it was. Artificial difficulty based off of the Bad controls. controls. Game. <laughs> yep. Um, so it's, it's, eh. yeah, the, uh, the only problem I have with it is I, I tend not to play remakes or, re, or remasters unless it's about half of the price so they've priced me out of the remaster until it goes on sale so that that's my personal rule is if you're going to remake a, you know or remaster a game that i've already purchased uh and played once you know, once before i don't care if if there's a you know if it's a game that's only that's like 10 years old or or more it needs to be about half of the price of what the uh what the original mm. was that's just i mean you're you're remaking an old game everything old is new again um but yeah i've i've interested well, in playing i it feel like i feel like it was definitely a strategic move on nintendo's part trying to it, hold off all the people asking for new prime it's exactly that that's strategic in the fact that okay we're gonna test this out here and see if it actually works on the gamecube or on the gamecube on the on the switch and then uh and then we'll can uh go forward with uh metroid prime uh four or the new metroid prime whatever they're gonna fucking call it but uh yeah people were screaming for the new metroid prime and they weren't able to give it to them so they're like oh well here's this you know, shut up for a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very uh, that's very Nintendo. Nintendo's not getting a whole lot of uh, uh, brownie points, you know, these days. So no, they haven't. But they've been slow on releases, at least in my mind. Like Metroid no. would be one of the things that I would like to play, but I'm not going to play that for that price unless I find a Switch way cheaper than it needs to be at this point. Because <laughs> there's only there's not that much that I want to play that's on there right now that I can't play elsewhere. Well, yeah, there's right there's that the uh, the portability portion of uh, of the Switch is completely lost on me for the same reason it was. Uh, uh, the portability was lost on me for uh, the uh, Steam Deck. Well, I got a Steam um, Deck, so right. But the, uh, the that's the thing. I mean, you can't. They can't sell that to me based off of portability because that's that's null and void. I would it's much a, rather have a much beefier Nintendo system, uh, and you know, hook that baby up to my TV. You know, right. And the Steam Deck for me is a novelty thing that I got that I've used a fair amount, not at nearly as much as a couple of people I know, like John from Picking Up Pixels uses this quite often. For me, it's a convenience item of gaming for my bed. 
or plugging it into my TV in my bedroom and either streaming stuff from the PC or just playing it on the big screen in the bedroom, right? So it's not, I don't know. I, I've i traveled a little bit with it, and that's been pretty cool to have with me while I'm traveling. But honestly, yeah. uh, I mean, not worth it unless you I'm... have a mobile use case or you don't have a gaming PC. If you don't have a gaming PC, it's a quite the beast for what it is. Yeah. It it is very powerful for what it is, but it, uh, at the same time, um, or you get you way know, way more compatibility out of a Steam Deck. <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. saying. You get a you or, get a lot of different options for things or mods. Like you can use mods on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or like for example, you know, my Surface is getting long in tooth, so you know I might actually invest in the second generation Steam Deck if. You know when, when that comes around in a couple of years to replace my Surface, and just have that. It would be for the if you use it for thing if you use your Surface for things other than gaming, you're probably better off with another Surface. Um, well, or in not cloud necessarily, gaming. not necessarily because I could realistically take a mobile monitor like the one that I have, and just use. A Thunderbolt or USB C cable to connect it to that and all well, the computes there. Yeah, and you get to that point, ask me, because I've got mm, all the accessories for also, I've got a little bitty mini keyboard that's USB, right? I've got a th- third party dock, I've got a little <laughs> bitty uh, wireless mouse, and all this stuff. He's got the hookup. You know, and I've got, you know, the HDMI connect cable running straight to the TV. So, like, I can plug it into the dock, play it on the TV with the keyboard and mouse or my controller because it's got Bluetooth built in. I've used Discord on it, right? I've played a lot of different things on that. A few things that are pretty beefy, like, I don't know that Hogwarts would run on there, but I know that John's been playing uh, um, Midnight Suns on it. Yeah. On, on low settings on the freaking Steam Deck. And because that screen is small, like... He doesn't complain. He thinks it's the most awesome thing in the world to play Midnight Suns on a Steam Deck. So, which I don't blame him. That's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty. It is pretty cool. Yeah, it's got a lot of. Oh. There's a lot of stuff too. Like there's a lot of draw because it's selling like hotcakes right now for companies to put a setting on their game to make it run with Steam Deck because you can play right. fucking Elden Ring on your Steam Deck. True. No, I, I just saw that, actually. I just saw that. Like you know, 30 they, FPS. Uh, it's still playable, I suppose. I mean, you, I mean, I guess uh, yeah, it's totally wanted... playable because that was what the original uh, Dark Souls was. Dark Souls, oh my god. Yeah, I played um, Dark Souls at like 20 FPS in the, the swamp right. area, the original. Right. And like Bloodborne doesn't even get past 30, I think. I think it's locked at 30. Yeah, it's locked at 30. So there's a lot of people so, on a PC port of it. Yep. So there's that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, there is, there isn't enough of the first party games on the Switch to draw me into actually, you know, picking them up. And if it's, if that's the case for me, anybody that's like me, isn't pro- probably isn't going to go and buy the uh buy the hardware and at this point the hardware for the switch i mean is what 
almost four, you know, like five, six years old, almost. Yeah, something like that. And so, I mean, they're not keeping up with, uh, you know, with you know, you know anybody else. So, the when the Switch came out, yeah, it's impressive for what it is, a handheld, but it's it's just an HD. You know, it only provides like 1080p. You know, it's it's not it's not the greatest. You know. It's not the greatest picture. You try to put it on a big screen, you're going to notice it. Um, you know, and they need to, they need, they need to take and have something as big of a hit as the GameCube. That's what they need. The GameCube was, you know, was awesome for its time, but it also didn't. It wasn't in uh, released in a uh, in an environment that had multiple high resolution options, like you were only watching. You, know, you were only able to hook that up to your CRT television that your mom had in the you know in the living room, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you could use early, you know, 720p HD TVs back then because they it if did have the if HDMI cable. If your family had one, right? You know. If your family could afford it, I played that fucking GameCube on. You know, I, I actually I think I hooked it up to my yeah you know, my CRT gaming TV or gaming TV slash monitor because that was the way that that worked out. Um, but yeah, they just I think that you know they 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 need to go forward with uh uh with beefier hardware and. In the in the game in the process of doing that, you know, be able to make the games that they want to make. I'm pretty sure if I had to be able to wager a guess right now, one of the issues that's causing Prime to slow down is the fact that they're trying to cram that into this into the Switch. If the Switch was more powerful, it would be a lot easier for that to, you know that game to be made. If that's just my my speculation, one hundred percent speculation. It's my it's my my take on it. But yeah, that I need I need more power from uh, from Nintendo because uh, Nintendo power doesn't exist anymore. Right. But, um, now now you have Nintendo Direct every few months. Right. So it's it's a thing. Um, I own a Switch and. I still aren't. I'm not actually. I don't think I've actually fired that thing up in a couple of years since you finished Breath of the Wild. Since I finished Breath of the Wild, I think I played a little bit of Octopath Traveler on it, and um, maybe a couple other games. Uh, the first Mario versus Rabbids, and or Mario and Rabbids games, not Mario versus Rabbids, but Mario and Rabbids, um, and. I was not a big fan of it, so I don't know. Yeah, I heard that was supposed to be kind of like XCOM, and I watched the uh, the uh, a lot of gameplay footage, and I was like, I mean, like Kiddo's first XCOM is kind of what you were you were thinking there, pal. That's exactly kind of that's how I described it to you. Is uh, it's it's Kiddo's versus uh, Kiddo's first XCOM game. Um. Like not the depth that I was looking for, and aside from it the does, fact that I didn't really like the aesthetic at all, so it's like, yeah, this this aesthetic is dumb. It's it does have a decent amount of uh, t- tactical 
you know, prowess to it. I will give it that it does have some of that. But um I didn't I didn't like the like the setting. I didn't like the story. I didn't like any you know anything like that was I, they're just dumb. Right. So I didn't I didn't like anything that had to do with that. So it it just it just ended up losing me really, really quickly. So you know, I just wasted a bunch of more a bunch more money on Nintendo. Well, yeah, guys, but... do we want to take a break and then get to some news? Sure. All right, folks, we'll be back. I don't even know how to start this thing. The Tiltcast. The, the, the what? Uh, I'm going to start over. And we're back. Oh my god. Yeah. So we're in the news section and I've actually got some things that tie directly into what we were talking about just a minute ago. Um Jake Solomon, the creator of XCOM, XCOM 2, and uh Midnight Suns is no longer working for Firaxis. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, which is interesting because I like all three of those games a lot. <laughs> Um, not a lot of news as to what he's doing now. He's pursuing some lifetime dreams, I guess is what he's saying. Uh, there's a big story on PC Gamer that kind of went through his history of all the things he worked on with Sid Meier. Apparently Sid Meier was his, uh, his mentor, which makes a lot of sense. That guy's good at what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of went through the history of why he came from a pretty crappy video game de- developer to being a pretty damn good one, um, with his three big releases that were all three universally acclaimed pretty highly. So I look forward to if he's making games again, that would be great because even his adaptation of XCOM was better than the original developer's iteration of XCOM and the spiritual successor. And what I'm talking about is Julian Gollop was the original developer of XCOM. He went on to make Phoenix Point. Phoenix Point took about two years to get close to being as good as XCOM, but it's still not quite there. There's some parts about the game design that's just not as fleshed out as XCOM. And maybe it's from having a bigger team over it for Axis, but it's weird to say, but I feel like Jake Solomon made a better XCOM than even Julian Gollop. I think Julian Gollop is a very, very talented and smart guy that probably thinks more in developer mode than he thinks in player mode. But Fun mode. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was really interesting because What's going to happen now? <laughs> I was hoping for an XCOM 3. Um, he claims that it's left in capable hands. I just, Chimera Squad came out, and that's a dumpster fire. <laughs> so, and I don't know how much of Jake Solomon was part of Chimera Squad, but that game is not good. Um, it's it's a It's a two out of five for me because it just, it's not even good even if it wasn't tied to XCOM. I I think it's a very badly done game. But um, that being said, there's some other news. Uh, You had some Microsoft news, right, Jason? I did. So uh, it's uh, come out in the in the last week um, as the EU probes into the Microsoft Activision Blizzard. investigation heightens um 
that Game Pass, contrary to what Phil Spencer said back in 2018, um, actually um, has a negative impact on sales for the games that are included in it. Um, now, an exact, um, you know, percentage or, or any kind of number there has not been uh not been disclosed but apparently it's they've found they've deemed it to be significant um oh, which okay. i mean doesn't really surprise me it's not like any of us sat here sat here and thought yeah phil sure people are just going to go buy the game the second it's off game pass um cuz they're not unless you are yeah. uh, justin yeah you know right. but well, the thing is, most of the games, right? Like you've played all the way through it by the time it leaves Game Pass. Most so, most of the time, but I mean, uh, there's there's games like Ring of Pain that actually you know surprise the piss out of you. And honestly, if it wasn't for uh, for Game Pass, I don't think you know Justin or myself would have actually touched that game. Right. You know, so you know they ended up getting a sale on that game because it was on game pass so there is you know it is a sales generator it's just not as big of a sales generator as uh as it's buying the game <laughs> as as buying the game outright i don't know i mean yeah there's there's something to be said about you know having a you know a decent demo but most of the time you know the demo isn't going to give you the meat of the game um and do you really want to fuck around with having to download a demo, play the game for a little bit to be like, oh yeah, this is kind of neat. And then, you know, go and have to buy the game and then re-download the fucking game again because, you know, you have to download the non-demo version. Um, there, there's also the thing where there's some things that are on, so like Dark Tide's on Game Pass and it's on Steam and there's not mm -hmm. cross-play between the two platforms for that game. So for me... I'm invested in Fat Shark. I say invested, I basically am. Um, so I bought it on Steam because I wanted the people that were going to be a little more hardcore about it. I figured we'd be playing it on Steam anyway. And then I ended up buying it for you two fuckers as well, just in that belief of wanting to play that game with other people, right? But the Game Pass, like we could have all gotten it on Game Pass, but as I knew eventually it's going to go off Game Pass, and that's a game with a lot of progress, and I didn't want to lose that progress by rebuying it on Steam. Right. So, but things like Grounded, right, like that was game, game Pass, and then I ended up liking that game and playing, getting it on Steam. In fact, it was gifted to me pretty randomly um, by my buddy Jason. But, like, I wouldn't have wanted to try to port that progress over, but it's a first-party a first party release from Microsoft, so I doubt that'll be what we'll leave. But you... You run into that where, like, Jason didn't have enough money for Vampire Survivors. He was in a really tight spot, so he started playing it on Game Pass, right? Like, I think it's the game subscription service does something for the lower end of the spectrum. No no offense to anybody in that, right? Um, that helps people still have access to games to where they're not, like, ringing a lot of activity out of a game that just has filler activities just to pass the time because they don't have, you know, $60 in the budget every month for a new game. I, I think it's a great service still. Um, and yeah. it's worth every penny. It's just, I mean, if that's, if that's one of the things that's, you know, that's, 
I guess. I, I don't know that I'd have picked up Chained Echoes at 25 bucks on Steam if it had not been, already been on Game Pass, and that's where I'm playing it is on Game Pass. I think it's worth 25 bucks now that I'm playing it, but I you know, never even taken the chance because it didn't quite look like it appealed to me um, when I was looking at it, right? Um, that reminds me, like uh, Atomic Hearts comes out in Game Pass day one on February 21st, mm-hmm. and I still have some doubts about the game, and because it's on Game Pass, I'm going to play it there. I really like it. I know there's like extra DLC coming out. I'll probably pick it up on Steam later. Um, but like that's one I'm taking a chance on. Now there's a lot of controversy around Mundfish, which is the developer of that game, right? Because they're from Russia. And without getting too much into the politics of it, like there's a lot of people that are saying, well, Mundfish used to be located in Moscow. How come you're not saying anything about the Ukrainian conflict, etc.? And right now, um, they're located in Cyprus. Like, there might be reasons that they don't want to say anything. Like, uh, there's not the same kind of free speech all over the rest of the world like there is here. So they may be in a position where they can't say anything about it. But they did move their headquarters from Moscow to fucking Cyprus, which is definitely not Russia. Um, which, you know, it is what it is. But they've uh, they've there's a lot of, like, hidden talent that I... Didn't know that was behind this. Like Mick Gordon is helping out in the soundtrack. And I'm a big Mick Gordon fan. Right. Um, and it is supposed to clock in about 25 hours worth of gameplay. It's kind of mm-hmm. got a really weird aesthetic of weird like 1950s robots and some Bioshockiness and a lot of <laughs> ultraviolence. Kind of like a Wolfenstein or something like that. That I just kind of need something like that to blow steam the next few weeks. So for me... I don't know. That's probably where I'm going to put, put some money down. I really wish, uh, speaking of Game Pass, I really wish Wild Hearts would have came out on Game Pass. It's on EA Play right now for the first 10 hours. <sighs> and I was waiting to purchase it because I'm a big Monster Hunter fan, so is Rusty. Um, and it's got definite Monster Hunter vibes. I watch uh, a streamer from time to time, usually does Dark Souls and uh, Monster Hunter called uh, Fighting Cowboy. And uh, mm-hmm. watch some of his gameplay. Now, he's got a beefy-ass rig because he's a pro streamer, right? Um, is noticing there's some performance issues. And then when it came out, like, it hit mostly negative reviews on Steam. And it's one of the – it's an EA game. $69 out the gate. Seven, you know, $69.99 or $70. Bucks. Mm-hmm. So it's a really big risk when everybody's saying it's not running on their 3070s and 3080s because of CPU bottlenecking. So, like, I'd like to try it out. But I think I'm going to wait until the reviews swing the other way because of performance issues. Because I don't know that I want to spend $70. Like, I have $70, but I don't like flushing money down the toilet. Um, or spending money now to not have it run for a couple weeks before it runs. And apparently, <laughs> spoiled as they are, modern gamers are saying it's like a PS4 era looking game. I don't quite agree with that. It's not the prettiest game. It's got a unique aesthetic. It's kind of like well, Monster Hunter meets Fortnite or something like that, but um, because you can I'm, place like buildable platforms and things like that to help you traverse the terrain that's persistent throughout the game as you play it. It's it is only in the fact that you can actually build those uh, those platforms or traps, um, but it's not you know, not Fortnite in any way, shape, or form that like. It's not like the way that it's being described. Like it's the only 
tied to that is the you know like the building on the fly it is you know is is fairly quick um but it's mostly traversal things like i'm going to set up a zip line here i'm going to set up like a a material collector here in this map I'm well set up this you know like i can set up some platforms to get myself at from this area to this next area a lot faster so it, there's actually stuff that you can build in fights too so uh one of the things that i i noticed was uh if you build uh, there's these little boxes that you can build, but if you build uh, six uh, six of those boxes, yeah, basically in a column or side to side, it'll build a wall, which, you know, if there's a monster attack coming at you and you can pop those down really, really quickly, um, you can pop that wall up and it'll block the attack from the monster and, you know, put the monster off balance so that you can get a free, you know, free hit or two in. Um, or if you build like four boxes in an, you know, straight, you know, straight up, it'll create a, uh, like a hammer that does, uh, an attack that knocks a flying monster down. Things like that. That's weird. It's got some original ideas. Like I'm genuinely interested in it. I just, it's coming out. It came out this week with a lot of performance issues. And then I knew that I was finishing Hogwarts. And I was going to be playing Atomic Heart. And I was like, well, I'll just slide into Atomic Heart after Hogwarts. And by the time I'm done with that, maybe Wild Hearts is playable and I can pick it up, you know. Um, but yeah, like it looks interesting. I think both me and you have our eyes on it. But like I don't see a reason to pick it up day one right now. Uh, if it continues to take time to get to where the performance issues are there, I may wait till like the spring sale, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, going to watch it because I believe uh the um I believe that the the performance issues for this will actually get worked out. It's just like it's just like any you know any modern game these days. You get a uh, get a game out there, you're going to have a lot more people you know on it and testing it with different rigs. Um and they might not have seen what was going on with it, but Hey, uh, it's it's on the radar as something that genuinely is going to probably take up some of my time. Uh, that and I like the you know the the aesthetic. Like I need a good another good Monster Hunter style game. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I put a few hundred hours into the Monster Hunter series. I probably across right. all of them, I put a couple thousand hours into it. Right. It's, it's one of the you most japanese ass games that I play, and I genuinely like the weird-ass jank of Monster Hunter for whatever reason. Well, I, I just like I like building custom sets of things with parts from things that I hunted. Right. There's a lot of, like, quality of life differences between uh, Wild Hearts and Monster Hunter. For instance, if you don't like the... If you don't like what path you went with on a weapon, you don't have to refarm the materials. You could just revert and go uh, down a different path. Um, so that's nice. Um, and there's some interesting weapon choices. Um, uh, like there's, I forget what they call it, but it's basically like a bladed umbrella, uh, that, you know, that gives you kind of like a spear, but also some verticality like the, uh, uh, the insect glaive. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of interesting choices with it. I, I, I like, I like the, I I like what I see. I just hope that the uh, 
uh, performance issues get resolved. I'm I'm actually pulling up to see if there's a uh, if there's any uh, updates on it. The last update I see is that the developer did address the PC performance issues and promised a fix sometime soon. Um, the team is also actively working on DLSS and FSR support. Right, I saw that too. I just when I see it in action or see that it's working, then that's when I'm going to think about it. We but, we have a patch coming next week that addresses CPU bottleneck problems that the team discovered. This is also should improve performance across mid uh, mid to higher end CPUs. That's what uh, Omega Force said in the statement. Okay. Jason, did you? I have a couple more pieces, but did you have something that I haven't mentioned so far? Uh, just a, uh, uh, it's, it's not, you know, like the biggest news, but they're in the most recent, um, uh, steam beta, they released a new feature that allows you to, uh, move, um, games, uh, from your PC to, a Steam Deck or another PC on your same local network Ooh. versus having to uh, re-download the game from servers onto onto a different console. Oh, oh that's actually pretty neat. Yeah. So is it move or is it copy? No, it is... Um, that's transfer the game installation, so it's a move. Okay, all right. Well, that that's less but, less great. But but being able to move or copy the copy it from one client to another versus Windows native network sharing, which is kind of crap, mm, might yeah. be pretty good. Um, the uh, uh, the the article on PC Gamer here says they actually. Um, tested transferring the game files directly from from a Steam Deck to a PC, um, and it transferred the content at a hundred megabytes a second. Yeah, that's so it it still makes it incredibly fast. Yes, it would help me because I hit my I was moving some games from well getting some of the same games on my steam deck as i was the uh on pc right um and i went over my uh download limit for the month so that would have helped me out greatly probably save about 400 gigs worth of my data transfer right and it actually prevents you from having overages on or or having some problems with metered connections things you know things of that nature now, granted, Wi-Fi is probably only going to move about 25 to 35 megabits a second. It doesn't matter. I um, mean, just from the nature of Wi-Fi. But, I mean, that's it. Being able to move directly from client to client versus, uh, again, using Windows native network share, which really isn't all that great unless you've got commercial-grade networking equipment. <laughs> Right. It right. is pretty dang good. Well, there was, um, I mean, it wasn't super recent, but 
still well maybe it was it was a uh, at least a month or two ago um i you know saw something you know linus tech tips did you know a uh like a cache sh- uh, server where they downloaded a bunch of a uh, bunch of games to a cache server and then did a LAN party so that people could download the games to their PCs from the cache server. Um, and, you know, do it at like, you know, stupid speed. Um, yeah, but did you see the big ass server switch they built for that? Yes. I mean, and or more on, you know, on just the server switch, it, you know, infrastructure for it. Yes, I, I know. Mo- I know what they most. Did. Most people don't have the native networking equipment to enable that kind of transfer speeds. I understand that, but you know, for you know, for instance, if I had a machine that I download, say I use my rig and I download you know, download Elden Ring to that rig, and I want to Steam Family share it to uh, to a you know to my body, um, you know, I don't want to you know if. I wouldn't want to move it, but if I wanted to send the installation files over so that he could install it, he shouldn't have to go out to the internet again to you know to do that if that's if that's part of the the, the deal. But I also don't want to lose it on my machine if I want to play Eldering, you know. Um, right. So that's why yeah. I was asking whether or not if if it was a move versus a copy. If it's copy the installation files from one place to another, great. Yeah. And it and it currently is a move, though. I mean, that said, it's still a beta feature in the beta client, right? So that may very well change on full release. Well, I can... Um, but interesting possibilities, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if they decide to do a go uh, and clarify it, because it might be just a wording thing. Um, it could be yeah, copying stuff over. Because um, all of the all of this article, I I'm gonna say this, all of this article they use, copy, transfer, and move all three words, huh? In this same article, I so think I don't from, know exactly what the client's doing from a data security um, standpoint. Just from just from working in IT, um, if you have something as you know as critical as say like a game save you're not going to do a destructive move. Um, you're going to do a copy, a verification, before yeah. the original file is deleted. Um, yeah, and considering that the game the game license key is tied directly to your Steam login, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a copy. Yeah, I mean, if it's a copy, then that, then that would be perfectly understandable. It would be like, okay... I'm playing this game on on my PC. I just got a Steam Deck. I will, and this is exactly why they're doing it. Uh, I want to continue playing this game, Midnight Suns, on my Steam Deck. Let me go ahead and just copy that over real quick. Use my you know without having to go out to the internet because I've already downloaded it to one of my machines. Boom! I've got the game. <laughs> I am now on the John taking a shit playing fucking Midnight Suns. It's one of those things where like so. Um, almost had to travel for work right and it was one of the you know they're pitching that i'd be gone for six weeks which i'm not um but in the event right that i had to do something like that right like i would be like okay so which one of my games that i'm playing right now do i want to take with me without having to re-download like 400 gigs worth of shit and i'd pick all the games that i figured would run on steam deck and i'd copy all of those over 
right? And then with cloud saves, as I continue to play them, right, it'll update. And then there I go, you know, like spend, right. you know, half an hour copying everything over. And that way I'm ready to go when I have to travel with the games that I was playing here at home. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good feature. And even if it's in the beta, you know, beta phase and they're just kind of testing it out, it is anything that saves bandwidth is going to end event, eventually just save time for the company and resources for the company. Because, I mean, it, running those servers is not cheap. Uh, bandwidth costs money, you know, both on the client and server side. So it's a really um, weird thing to not have that natively built in. Like, I with, there's a lot of people with data caps. Like, in fact, most people have some form of data cap. You know what I mean? I don't. I, I don't. You kind of deserve what you got right now because you were pretty limited before. But <laughs> me and Jason have fucking evil cocks. Evil cocks. Right. That's funny. E wow. Evil mm. cocks, right? And they uh, they enforce a bandwidth limit of like 1.2 terabytes per month. And which is still... it, which is it's a lot. But if you're a gamer and you watch Netflix, True. It, it does get used up. And he's got a whole host of kids using streaming bandwidth and there he is like streaming and downloading shit right like it's yeah but i let to be fair i limit the kids' devices to 1080p oh that's a good idea like they don't know any different um, at, at 4k on yeah it, the only the only device the only device that streams at the higher quality is the living room tv um and my pc so because realistically like you don't need 4k streaming on phones and tablets no so no. um so my pc and the living room tv are the only ones that actually have the available bandwidth to stream at 4k right um so that that helps the caps now that said i can download you know like for example on game pass i can download two or three games though in a month and between our regular usage get damn near the cap um so yeah, yeah games i do are have not... to be i do have to be somewhat conscious of that right games are you know are only getting bigger like you know somewhere between 70 and 100 gigs you know these days uh <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty crazy um yeah so yeah, the uh, couple of other quick things I wanted to talk about. Um, Civ has been now officially announced, so the new Civ game is in development. Um, oh which, boy, which, let's let's hope it's not another. Uh, oh, what was it? The expansions ruined the last, the last one, in my opinion. Um, but that being said, like I would play a new Civ. Um, there's another game we were talking a lot about for Axis Games this week for whatever reason. But uh, there's a game. So the uh, what was the name of that game? There is a game of Mutant Year Zero. Mutant Year Zero um, was a mm -hmm. XCOM style game that was pretty good. Uh, not quite XCOM, but it was still pretty good. And uh, the company that's that made that is called the Bearded Ladies. Um, released a 17-minute gameplay trailer of a game called Miasma Chronicles. 
It has a weird dystopian future vibe with a robot smoking a cigar. It looks great, and it has some... Uh, it looks very tactical. That's all I'm going to say. It's supposed to be coming out sometime this year, I think in the next few months. If you're curious, just it's got a page on Steam already. But it's kind of a combination of exploration plus XCOM-style combat. Um, but yeah, and it comes to PS5 and Series X as well, so... Think that ought to be something pretty neat. Um, something else that's pretty big that's coming out. I've got a friend of mine that plays exclusively Game Pass, right? Because it fits into his bucket of of what's easiest for him to access. Um, he was trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be the longest, the most amount of game he can get out of stuff in the next few months. We we're chatting last night through text message, and I was like, he's like, "What about Hogwarts?" And I kind of gave him the game length, and he's like, "Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna hold me over for a week." <laughs> And I was right. like, okay, there's Atomic Cards coming out, right? And he's like, yeah, but that's like only 25 hours. Like, damn, how much do you play, right? It's kind of what I'm thinking. And so then he mentioned, he's like, yeah, what I'm really waiting on is Valheim because that comes to Game Pass on Series X in in March. I was like, oh, that is a big deal. Yeah, that's a, yes. that's 100 plus hours of gameplay. I was like, yeah, it's good all the way to the end game, but it'll be 100 hours before you get there anyway. So enjoy the journey. <laughs> right. But yeah, that's coming out soon. I really wish Valheim would just finish the fucking game um, because I do want to, I've put a lot of time into it, but I don't want to play it again until it's kind of got like a finalization of what to do because I don't want to spend another hundred hours to get to that point again. And I've already experienced all that other stuff too. Um, right. Other big things is E3 is going to happen. They're going to have an in-person event this June. Um, it's interesting because Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo are not doing the event. Ubisoft is tentatively doing the event, so it's just going to be big developers that are not the also the console owners that are doing okay. the event. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. Um, I'm okay with this. I think that pulling them guys out doesn't necessarily wouldn't necessarily hurt it as long as the E3 uh, the E3 board. The guys that are putting everything together don't, you know, they they need to step they, up and actually make sure that the that developers actually show up and show off their games. And they need to get some like double A indies in there as well to kind of showcase what's going on. But right, um, I don't know. I guess it remains to be seen. Um, that being said, we still haven't heard a lot of news about it. But there's a tentative release date for Starfield on June 29th as well. So I guess we'll leaked. see. Yeah, it was leaked. So that's why it's not tentative. I, it's I consider a leak rumor, right? But sometimes rumors have truth. So I'm thinking maybe this summer, maybe July. The month of July is not the usual shit show it is with new releases. And there's something for me to play that month because usually July there is nothing, and I'm going through my backlog during my birthday month, which always makes me sad. But I don't know that I have much more news. Jason or Rusty, do you have anything else to add? Nope, I'm tied no. up. Yeah. All right. Well, Jason, where do you find us? Find us at tiltcast.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.com slash tiltcast. Our YouTube channels, youtube.com slash the real tiltcast, and search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe. Find some friends of the show. We got um, noquarters.net for the love of gaming, picking up the pixels bmfcast.com and tvgp.tv they also like monster hunter and with that it's the end of the show all right peace